0: I was asking Aaron earlier, not this Aaron, Aaron playing the music box thing, uh, I was asking him, I said, what is the official name of that box thing? And he said, it's a box thing, you know, that's pretty much what it was. Oh, Nicole, I like that. That was really, really good. Glad you guys were with us uh, in worship today, and I just want us to focus into the Word of God today. We're going to have lunch when we're done. Uh, I hope you're all going to stay for that and then we have some ministry leaders during lunchtime they are going to talk about uh, some things that are taking place this year that you're going to want to, be, uh, want to be a part of. All year long this year, I am preaching out of a theme from the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, uh, Fix Your Eyes on Eternity. And that's what I want us to do today, uh, uh, this year, is to motivate ourselves with everything that we do with our eyes on eternity, because we're all going to spend eternity somewhere. I was thinking back early this morning, uh, I was thinking back about the very first song that I ever remember singing in church. And I can't remember whether it was uh, one song or the other, but it was either, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know, Why, Say It Out Loud, For The Bible Tells Me So, or, the finger song, and if you're old enough to remember the finger song, uh, you will remember that the finger represented what? Anybody remember? Light. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. You know, I love that song. This morning, what I want to do is talking about our light, talk about our light shining, and uh, how to do that, and how to accomplish that. Now, this month is called Living Legacy Month, and all month long, I'm asking a question, what are you living for? And I'm, uh, in asking that question, what are you living for, there are really four sub-questions that I am focusing in on to help you think through this process. Now, last Sunday, if you were with me, uh, you found that we talked about the first of those questions, first of those four questions to answer, what are you living for? And uh, the question that I asked you to think through was, am I living for today, or am I living for what? Say it. For the day. Great. Uh, for today or the day. You may not know much about the day, but you ought to really learn what Scripture has to say about it because it is coming soon, guys and gals. And we had better be ready. We better be looking forward to it. And we better be focused on that day because we're not focused on that day. Our today is all messed up. And that's what we talked about last week. Now, today what I want to do is ask another question, and it's, uh, what are you living for? And the question is, are you living for your own sin nature, or are you living for Jesus' nature to become real in your life? Let's talk about that this morning. Are you living for your sin nature, or are you living for Jesus' nature to develop in your life. Now I want everybody to grab your Bible, turn me to me the book of second, I'm sorry, the second chapter of uh, the letter of Philippians. I asked you to read through Philippians this last week. I hope a lot of you did that. It'll really help you understand where I'm going this morning. But in Philippians chapter 2, I want to read the first 16 verses because the Apostle Paul there talks about this question. Are you living for your own personal selfish sin nature or are you living for the nature of Christ? to be developed within you. Let's read it together. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. It says, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, if you have any comfort from His love, if you have any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the Spirit, and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without finding fault in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe, this little light of mine, as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. Now this morning as we look at this section of scripture, there are really three things that I want to talk to you about I want to talk to you first about God's purpose in your life. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, I want you to understand that God has a purpose in your life. Even next slide. Uh, God's purpose in your life. Now, verse 13, he says, actually, ending with verse 12, he says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, watch this. For God who is, works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Now I want to break down verse 13 for you. Got some notes you can take? Uh, A note section you can take? I'm going to give you a few things about this section of Scripture. Number one, notice that he says that God is working in you. The phrase means he is active. It's an ongoing tense. God never gives up the work that he is doing in your life. The second thing I want you to notice in verse 13 is that God works to will, to will. The the phrase literally means to be all about. I want you to get from this. I think it's kind of cool. The scripture literally says that God's all about something happening in your life. He's all about it. His will is that something happens in your life. And the next phrase is to act. God works to will and to act. I'll give you the Greek word. I don't give a lot of Greek words to you, but I'll give you the Greek word because immediately you'll be able to know uh, what the word is all about. The Greek word is the word energeo. Energeo. What English word do we get from that? Say it, huh? Energy. God expels energy in your soul, and he does it on an ongoing basis because he is working to will and to act. Now, He ends the verse by saying he's working in our lives to will and to act according to his good purpose. Don't miss this or you'll miss the entire message today. He says there that God's good purpose, the word literally means his delight or his pleasure. Now notice this and hang with me real closely here. The Apostle Paul, nor anywhere else in the Bible, does it ever say that God is working in your life for your purpose or for your pleasure or for your delight. Now, oftentimes that is the case, but folks, I want you to understand that that is never God's purpose for working in your life. Watch what it says. Go back to verse 13. It says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to whose good purpose? What? His. Not yours. His good purpose in your life. Now what I want you to understand, that whenever we allow God's purpose to work in our lives, it brings God incredible pleasure. And it delights God beyond measure. So what is God's purpose at work in your life? Remember, I said I want to spend all year uh, talking about fixing your eyes on eternity, and if you were here last week, you will remember that I said that uh, uh, we learned that God has placed eternity in in the human heart, Ecclesiastes 3.11. Why? It's because God is an eternal being. God never had a beginning, and God never has an ending. As a matter of fact, God always is. Do you remember the name that he gave to Moses at the burning bush. He said, I am. Not I was, not I will be, I am. God never changes, he is always the same. God is eternal. Now that's important, because whether you realize that or not, now that you have had a birth, how many people have been born here? How many people have been born, okay? I think most of you have. I do see one or two that I'm wondering if you were hatched or found behind a tree somewhere. Uh, but no, we have all been born. Well, what I want you to understand is that now that you have been born, even if you physically die, watch this, you are an eternal being as well, created in the image of God. Now, folks, I want you to understand that every one of us here this morning and every person in our world is going to el- will live for eternity. Some will choose to live in eternity with God. Others will choose to live in hell, but that, too, will be an eternal existence. Now, what are the biggest differences in heaven and hell? We'll talk about this this year. But I want to give you just two, I think the most significant differences between what it's going to be like to be in heaven and to be in hell. Number one, the biggest, number one biggest difference that I can see between heaven and hell is that God is going to be in heaven. Did you know that? God is going to be in heaven. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 21 verse 3, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will be with them. Folks, I cannot wait to get to heaven for a lot of reasons. The greatest thing that I am challenged by is the opportunity to see the creator of the universe and to understand him in his magnificence and to see the glorious throne and those worshiping around the throne. Folks, I want you to understand God will not be in hell. You know who's going to be in hell? Satan will be in hell. The Bible says that in Revelation 20 verse 10, the devil was thrown into the lake of fire. I see that as the first biggest difference between heaven and hell. Number one, God's going to be in heaven. He's not going to be in hell. A second major difference between heaven and hell is that people in heaven are going to be just like Jesus. Do you realize that? Everybody in heaven is going to be just like Jesus. Jesus, you read about Jesus, his compassion, his mercy, his love for people, his joy, his enthusiasm for living. Every single person is going to be like Jesus in heaven. How do you know that, Neil? Well, John says in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2, what we will be like has not yet been made known to us. But we do know that when Jesus appears, we will be just like him. Number one, God's going to be in heaven. It's going to be a great place because of that. He will not be in hell. Second major difference is people in heaven will be just like Jesus. But folks, can I tell you something? People in hell will not be like Jesus at all. You know what the Bible says and describes them? Revelation 21 verse 8 says, But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral... Those who practice magic arts, idolaters, all liars, will find their place in the lake of fire. That brings us back to God's purpose in your life. And if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ here this morning, I want you to understand that God has been working from the very day that you accepted Jesus as Savior of your life for the purpose of transforming you into the image of His Son. Now I want you to hold your finger right here in Philippians. We're only going to turn to one book, the, one other place this morning. And I want you to go back to the book of uh, Romans, the 8th chapter. And very quickly, I want you to notice a section of Scripture there. It's a powerful teaching. Romans chapter 8. Don't lose Philippians 2. We're going to come right back. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and 29. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and 29. Watch what it says. He says that we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. I, I've heard that verse butchered so many different ways. That God works for our good, wanting us to have a good time. God's working for us. As what always says. it says, in all things we know that God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Watch why, verse 29. For those God foreknew, he Also predestined, watch this, to be conformed into the likeness of his son. Now, folks, I want you to understand this. You cannot just slip into heaven with all the sinful baggage that you're carrying around here today. Man, we ran around the room this morning, we were honest around our tables, even just around our tables and began just honestly admitting our faults and our uh, addictions, you know, the things that we struggle with, Satan's strongholds in our lives, probably most of us would say, Oh my goodness, I'm in a room full of sinners today. And that's the truth. We are in a room full of sinners washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen by that? All right? But what I want you to understand is that God's not interested in you just washing into heaven with whatever sinful baggage you got hanging on you. And heaven to be heaven cannot be heaven if you carry all that junk with you. Does that make sense to you? You're gonna get a mansion. Can you imagine having a mansion for eternity beside the world's biggest gossip? Can you imagine? And they just can't stop flapping their jaws for eternity. In about 10 minutes, you're going to say, can I check out of here? No, your options aren't that great. You understand what I'm talking about. But what I want you to understand is that all of those things will fit perfectly in hell. Jesus describes hell as a place of weeping and gnashing or gnarling of teeth. Now, I want you to understand... Hell is not going to be a place of a great big party for eternity. It's going to be people biting and tearing and ripping upon one another for eternity, Jesus says. But God doesn't want anybody to go there. Nobody. Especially you. Folks, I want you to understand. None of that's going to be in heaven. Because heaven's going to be filled with place with a group of people just like Jesus. So God works your entire life. And I would say, especially through the trials of your life, watch this, to rip aside the devil-likeness in you and replace it with Christ-likeness. Does that make sense to you? I'm not saying, do you like that? I'm just saying, does that make sense to you? God wants you to be like Jesus. And so all the stuff in your life that is not Jesus-like, God spends your whole lifetime trying to purge away from you, okay? Okay? So that when you get to heaven, heaven can be heaven because you're going to be just like Jesus when you get there. All right? Now there's a second thing that I want you to go back in Philippians chapter 2 and I want you to notice, and it's found in verse 3 through 11, and that is what I am calling Jesus kenosis. Jesus kenosis. The word kenosis is a Greek word for the word empty or emptying. This section of Scripture has been called by theologians for for, uh, hundreds of years Uh, the uh, kenosis of Jesus. And let's just read what it has to say. In verse 3 through 4, Paul goes to the very core issue of the devil-likeness and the Christ-likeness battle that's going on in your life. In verse 3, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each one of you should not look at your own interests, but also at the interests of others. There are two things that I want you to notice. Two phrases are... Are words that I want you to notice in this section of Scripture. Number one, in verse 3 and 4, he talks about selfish ambition. Folks, I want you to understand the very core of being devil-like is being having a selfish ambition. Pride, wanting to get ahead. The word means strife or discord. I found this fascinating when I was studying this the other day. This phrase literally is the phrase used for common day laborers. And I was thinking about this because I used to be one. My very first job was a bag boy at Kroger, uh, Kroger Grocery Store in Roanoke, Virginia. And I was thinking back when I was thinking about this, and I was thinking back about the conversation that us bag boys and the checkers used to have in the checkout line. Now think about it. How many people ever worked at uh, just day labor somewhere? Ever worked? Okay, a lot, a lot of folks. This is the topic of conversation. Tell me, am I right? When's break time? When's lunch time? When's quitting time, and that boss is a, bo- a bozo? You know, that, that's the end of the philosophy. That's all that goes on. Folks, this phrase selfish ambition is the phrase that is used over and over and over again about individuals who like to cause division in a church. And there are people that love calling, causing division. There are people that don't want people to sit together and have fun together and enjoy worshiping together. They just want to divide and to conquer and to separate, and they have a selfish ambition filled with strife and discord. But there's another word that I want you to notice there, and it is the word humility. Do not nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility. The word means lowering your height, lowering your height. I remember when I was little my mom used to punish us often with flash water that was that was our whipping weapon when I was little and we I used to get a lot I, I she loved me an awful lot she really really did because she always said I, I'm doing this because I love you son but I remember what more the phrase I heard more often than not when uh, she was going to whip me or, or whoop me you know back back in Southwest Virginia when I was about to whoop me she always would say now now son I'm going to have to take you down a notch or two. Anybody ever heard that phrase before? What'd she mean? Man, i just kind of gotten up I just kind of thought, oh, I can do what I want to do. And she said, no, no, no. I'm going to drop you a, a, a stage or two. That's what the li- word humility literally means. Now, for this shift to occur, Paul says something has to take place. Verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. This is what has to happen. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Do you remember Moses? Moses had three cycles in his life, three periods, 40-year periods each. For 40 years, he was a prince. 40 years, he was a shepherd. 40 years, he was a leader. And the Bible says at the end of all that time, Moses was the most humble person anyone ever walked on the face of the earth. Numbers chapter 12 and verse 3. Now, how did that shift happen in Moses' life? He started out a jerk his first 40 years. He was a prince. He had everything. He wanted everything. At the end, he was a great leader. How did that shift occur? I'll give you in one word. Kenosis. Empty. While Moses followed sheep for 40 years in the wilderness, it was an emptying experience for him. There's not a disciple of Jesus Christ that does anything worthwhile at all, that does not regularly go through the emptying process. Folks, I believe there's not a church that God has ever used significantly that has a pride or has a thought that, man, we've arrived, we're doing it right now. Always the emptying process must happen for God to use a church. He says verse 5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. He made himself nothing. The word is kenosis. Jesus emptied himself. It says in verse 6, even though he was in the very nature of God, verse 8, he, found, he was found in uh, appearance of a man, and he humbled himself, and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself. You understand what I'm saying? The God of the universe, Jesus, the very Son of the Creator, Jesus, humbled himself. Where did that start? In the manger. Where did that move? It moved every time he he touched a leper and became ceremonially unclean. It was every time that he touched someone who uh, needed help. It was when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, Jesus humbled himself. One person once once related to Mother Teresa, you know who Mother Teresa was. she was an individual that cared for lepers that nobody else would touch. And one day a man walked up to her and said, "Mother Teresa, I wouldn't do what you do for all the money in the world." You know what her response was? Neither would I. But Jesus did it, and so must I." And he was obedient. It says in verse 8, he was obedient even to death. Although he was a son, the Bible says he learned obedience from what he suffered. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8. Every rejection could be stamped obedience. Every mocking word that he heard could be stamped obedience. Every slap in the face, every stripe stripe on his back, obedience. Obedience. Even the desertion of his disciples at his arrest. Obedience. And even the cross could be marked obedience. Kenosis, emptying. Folks, I want you to understand, until God empties you, there's no room for God in your life. And if you're wondering, why don't I see God active and working in my life on a daily basis, I'll give you the answer. You've got too much of you in your life, okay? And not enough God, because you can't have both. Kenosis. That brings us to one last idea, and that is your choice. Verse Verse 12, your choice. It says in verse 12, it says, Therefore, my dear friends... As you have always obeyed, not only my presence, but now also in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. Now I know a lot of people have a theological problem with this uh, this verse because it says work out your salvation. And you say to yourself, well I thought salvation was a free gift. And it it is. The word here in this section of, of Scripture is a passive voice word. It's saying allow God to work out his salvation in you. It's not you work it, you earn it, you get your way there so that when you get the pearly gates you say hey I deserve to get in. No it's a humbling saying God okay you work out in my life the salvation that you have begun. Now there are two requirements for this to happen. He says in verse 12 the first is fear. Continue to work out your salvation with, with fear. That's reverence of God's position. At the burning bush, Moses hid his face out of fear of God. The miraculous fish, Peter, fell at the feet of Jesus and said, go away from me, Lord, because I'm a sinful man. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge. So it always starts with fear. But the choice that we have moves forward to the idea of trembling. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The word means respect for authority. Folks, I don't think it's by chance that in these last days we're living in a time where respect for authority is all but gone. I was talking with a veteran police officer friend of mine here in Chesterfield. Man, he's been a cop for 25 years. He could have retired already, but he, he's still a cop. And we were uh, having coffee the other day at, uh, a couple weeks ago at Starbucks, and, and uh, I, he's a, he's a uh, detective now, so he doesn't wear the green, but he, all, he still wears his badge on his belt. And, and I pointed to his belt and the badge on his belt, and I said, and I won't tell you his name, George. I said, George, that badge, that shield, no longer commends the respect that it did 25 years ago when you became a cop. He says, you know, you're right. I used to be able to walk into a room in my uniform, and all of a sudden, everybody just kind of went silent because of kind of fear and trembling. But no longer. How come teachers are bailing out of the education system by the boatload? The authority of teachers is no longer there. Respect for them, folks. I want you to understand: the proper, fearful respect for God, His position, His authority, is the catalyst for God's purpose occurred in his life. Well, I got to shut down here we come to the so what phrase. Y'all are beginning to get accustomed to it. Next slide, this is where everybody says, "What? So what?" All right? We've heard all of this. So what are we going to do with this today? I want to give you the two most important things that you can do to allow God's space to uh, bring about this transformation in your life. Now notice, the scripture I've talked to you this morning is not about you working to make yourself humble, you working to get rid of all this stuff in your life. It's an inside job. The Holy Spirit begins to go to work on you the moment you become a Christian to, to purge these things out of your life. But there are two things that you must do to make them occur in your life, and I'll give them to you. Number one, pray. Number one, prayer. You remember when Jesus, we read it early when Jesus was struggling... And Gethsemane about giving up his will to God's will, what was Jesus doing? Huh? What? He was praying. He was praying. He wasn't debating with himself. He was praying. Folks, I want you to understand, this is not going to happen in your life, will not happen in your life, without significant prayer in your life. Now, I don't know what your issue is. I, I don't know. But I want you to understand, you're never going to overcome it just by trying harder, okay? It's not like starting a diet on January 1, okay? That's not what it's about. It's about God doing a work in you. And that's not going to happen without that spiritual support of prayer, okay? Prayer empowered ministry. Second word is the word, word. The Bible says, Jesus says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. John 17, 17. Now, I don't know what your habit of reading Scripture is. But I believe we are totally average here in this church. I don't believe we have spiritual giants here. I don't think we have spiritual weaklings. I just think we are just spiritually, we're just right where everybody else is. What I know, and this is a very, very recent survey just came out, just came out last week. The survey was among church-going, conservative, evangelical-type Christians that go to church every week, just like you, okay? You know how often we crack this book? Only 19% of us open it every day. 26% of us will glance at it two to three times a week. And folks, I'm telling you, Jesus said you will not anyway be sanctified. Stripping away, purging away those things in your life without time in the Word. We've been talking for a couple of years about uh, uh, Divine Mentor. I, I don't know what your uh, reading habit is in the Word, but you ought to have. You've got to have it. I, I've been focusing now on Divine Mentor. I use my own journal, not these, but uh, now for several years, and it's just changed the way I focus in the Word. Uh, I've got uh, a whole pastel of these down front here and I would love to give them to every one of you that would like to receive one of these okay uh, only thing I'm gonna ask you to do is drop three dollars in the bucket okay uh, now if you don't have three dollars take it alright if you don't have three dollars just take it for free if you got three dollars I'd love for us to cover our expense for that uh, it'll be after church just pick them up during lunch come up pick it up drop your money in put it in IOU if you want to uh, hey, I, I, when we had a, uh, uh, we had our, uh, y'all remember when we had the manger scene at Christmas Eve? You get the craziest things in that basket. Craziest thing we ever got in that, uh, when we got that night, and it was a receipt for a six-pack of beer. I'm going to tell you the <laughs> truth, okay? Uh, so if that's all you got, add that and that'll be all right. No, I'm just joking. I, I'm just joking. But uh, that, that'd be great. Let me shut down here, and I want to talk to those of you that are here, because everything I've talked about is based on the fact that you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, okay? That you're a Christian, and you know it. But if you're here today, and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, can I talk right straight with you right now? Nobody else. I'm not going to make you feel uncomfortable. I'm not going to make you get up and do anything weird or anything like that. I just want to talk to you right now. I've talked about the fact that God, if you're a Christian, man, He's pursued you, and try to help change your life. Can I tell you this? If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, the Savior of your life, can I explain to you that God is pursuing you even harder than all the rest of us who are already disciples? You know why? Because God could not imagine spending eternity in heaven without you. He loves you so much that he sent his only son to die on a cross for you. And I want you to understand that the day before you ever even leave, you can receive that free gift of eternal life. Now I'm going to pray with us right here. We're going to sing a song. We're going to take up our offering here as we're singing a song here, so be sure to have your offering ready. Have a little prayer cards and that sort of thing. Drop them in the offering. Uh, here in just a sec as we take up our offering. But after the service, we're going to sing a song. I, I'll be here during the song, but after the song is done, uh, I'm going to be done, I'm going to be over at the cross there, and I'd love to come and have you uh, come talk to me about what it would mean for you to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And we can make that happen today, today. You seal the deal today. Be baptized into Christ today, and that's your option. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, I thank you for this process that you've started in all of our lives. Father, I know that there's not a one of us that you want to see go to hell, not a one of us that you are just given up on, but you still want to change all of our lives. And so, so Father, I just pray for Christians that are here that are struggling with areas in their life to surrender those areas to you. I just pray that that emptying, that kenosis would happen in their life. Father, but I pray, Lord, that For individuals that are here today that have never named Jesus as Savior of their life, or they're not sure whether they have or not, the Father, you would cause them to say, man, I just want to come down and talk to Neil and figure out what that means in my life. Father, it still comes back to that emptying, that kenosis of being on our knees, saying, God, I don't have anything to give you. It's worth very much in my life. Father, I pray that you would allow us as a church today to empty ourselves of all of ourselves so that we can be filled with your divine power. Father, that we could leave a legacy that this world would be so proud that we existed here at Chester Christian Church. That's our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.